The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I am Jessica Pirro, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in again this week uh, for our show. This hour, we'll be talking about mental illness, what it is, signs and symptoms, and what help is available. We also will be highlighting firsthand about the critical work of our crisis first responders when it comes to responding to mental health. Each community has a crisis center or a crisis hotline, and they are there to help you. The work of our crisis centers are invaluable. Crisis staff are available 24 hours a day to help our friends, loved ones, and neighbors in their darkest hour. In today's show, we'll be talking about mental health, crisis response, and we'll be highlighting our collaboration with law enforcement by talking about crisis intervention teams, which we'll be referring to in the show as CIT a little bit later on um, as we get started. Um, I proudly serve as the CEO of Crisis Services. We are coming to you live from Buffalo, New York, where we manage the 24-hour crisis center. If you're interested in learning more about our agency or maybe our services, as well as supporting our organization, please visit our website at www.crisisservices.org. Also, as we begin our discussion today, if you have any questions um, during the show about what we're talking about or some feedback or comments, please email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That is J-P-I-R-R-O at voice, uh, I'm sorry, J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. So I want to introduce you to my two uh, starting guests today who are amazing members of our leadership team here at Crisis Services. We have Tracy Boosie. Um, Tracy earned her master's degree um, in 1997 from the State University of New York at Buffalo. And she's actually been here at Crisis Services since then. She actually started as an intern and has been uh, with our organization overseeing crisis intervention services since that time. At the present time, she's the program director of our emergency mental health response services, which includes the mobile outreach program, mobile transitional support program, and the trauma response program. In addition, she has been the coordinator of the Crisis Services Police Mental Health Coordination Project since 2011 and assisted in overseeing the agency's crisis intervention team training project, which we'll be highlighting um, today. 
Kristen Aducci is a licensed mental health counselor. She earned her master's in mental health counseling in 2006 from the University of North Dakota in Grand Forks, North Dakota. She's been with Crisis Services in a variety of roles since 2007, and at the present time, she's the program supervisor for our mobile outreach program and has been acting as the coordinator of the agency's crisis intervention training project since 2012. Uh, And she also oversees all the coordination with our CIT officers, which we'll be talking about throughout the show. And I also want to highlight, and we will be highlighting this even more, uh, Kristen is actually going to be presenting at the Crisis Intervention Team uh, International Conference in April in 2016 in Chicago. So we are very excited that she um, has been able to uh, be accepted to present. So a little bit later on the show, we also have um, Officer Joseph Malausich. Malausich, sorry, Joe, um, from the town of Tonawana Police Department, and he'll be talking a little bit about his experience as a CIT officer. So to set the stage, and as we begin this discussion, I want to talk a little bit about what is mental illness and how common is mental illness. We have over 43 million adults that experience mental illness in a given year. That's one in five adults in America. One in 25 live with a serious mental illness, and we'll talk a little bit about some of those types of mental illness a little bit in a little bit. One half of all chronic mental illness begins at the age of 14, and three-fourths by the age of 24. One in 100 Americans live with schizophrenia. Over 6 million adults live with bipolar disorder. We have 16 million adults living with major depression, and over 10 million adults that have co-occurring disorders of mental health and addiction. The impact of mental illness is significant. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. And serious mental illness costs America lost earnings of over $193 billion a year. So this is really an issue that we all have to be a part of in trying to help support individuals with mental illness. So to get started, we want to talk about what does it mean to have a mental illness? Mental illness are medical conditions that disrupt a person's thinking, feeling, mood, ability to relate to others, and daily functioning. Just as diabetes is a disorder of the pancreas, mental illness are medical conditions that often result in diminished capacity for coping with ordinary demands in life. And I think that is a really important comparison that we need to start working to address mental health like any other health issue in our, in our society. So um, there's various causes um, for mental illness, and we're going to talk about that. But we want to start off by having, Tracy, maybe if you could talk a little bit about, is anyone immune to mental illness? Uh, Well, uh, unfortunately not. Um, As you mentioned, in any given year, one out of five adults will struggle with a diagnosable mental illness. So nobody is immune. Um, Anyone can develop a mental illness at some point in their life, Um, although some individuals are at a higher risk. So those at a higher risk for developing mental illness include, first off, having a blood relative, such as a parent or a sibling who has a mental illness, Um, stressful life situations, such as financial problems, a loved one's death or a divorce. These kind of things can trigger a mental illness as well. Um, You know, ongoing chronic mental uh, medical conditions, such as diabetes or chronic pain, can can also be a trigger. Uh, traumatic experiences, so uh, such as when we have individuals who are assaulted or are the victims of rape or have witnessed military combat or having been abused or neglected as a child. These all put uh, people at a higher risk for developing a mental illness over time. 
Um, other factors, use of alcohol or recreational drugs. And low, su- low social support can also put individuals at risk for developing a mental illness. So having few friends or few healthy relationships, as these relationships and support have been demonstrated to be protective factors for individuals, uh, which protect them from developing a mental illness. Um, and, and a previous mental illness as well, too, can, can increase someone's risk for uh, developing another one in the future. So is mental illness preventable? Is this something that can be prevented for individuals? Well, there's no sure way to prevent mental illness, uh, particularly if you have a family history of mental illness. However, there's ways to reduce the chances of developing a mental illness, such as avoiding drugs and alcohol that I mentioned before, maintaining strong social supports, and tending to one's physical health through diet, exercise, appropriate medical care. In addition, getting support and treatment following a traumatic event in one's life can also mitigate the trauma to a degree to decrease an individual's chances of develop developing a mental illness such as PTSD, anxiety, or depression. And for those individuals that, that do have a diagnosed mental illness, they can take steps to control the stress and to increase their resilience um, to help keep their symptoms under control. So this includes knowing what triggers uh, an individual's symptoms, getting routine medical and mental health care, and taking good care of oneself through sufficient sleep, healthy eating, and exercise. Great, great. So let's talk a little bit about um, maybe some of the warning signs of mental illness. So, Kristen, I want to ask you if you could maybe share uh, with our listeners maybe some early warning signs for adults uh, that we should be paying attention to when it comes to mental illness. Well, what we normally see is people often develop the most common signs, which are usually signs of depression or anxiety. Depression and anxiety are the most common uh, diagnoses that we see that people are first diagnosed with. Oftentimes, it's really a withdrawal from their normal um, things that they normally used to have find joy from. So a lot of times it was that they might like to do certain activities, and now they just don't want to do them anymore. Um, sometimes also, you see an increased amount of anxiety. So they become worried, they become scared or frightened by certain things that used to never be that frightening. Um, they, you know, experience some anxiety symptoms like heart palpitations or sweating. Um, with depression, sometimes they experience um, that they feel really sad or just can't get out of bed in the morning. Withdrawal, um, and oftentimes is that they might be really sleepy or they just can't sleep at all. So something's keeping them up at night, like nightmares or things that just trouble them. Um, We also see that people often may experience something very traumatic. And after that traumatic event, um, they just really can't um, move on. It's really hard to move on because of what happened to them. And a lot of times that can develop into something like depression. Um, They just kind of get stuck. Um, Some other signs that you might see, too, is that people... um, will just not be able to really function well anymore. Um, They um, need help. Um, They go into crisis really quickly, and they need someone to help them get out of crisis. So they're unable to really solve their own problems. Um, What we see a lot of times, too, with some kids um, and adolescents is often they, they withdraw from what used to make them happy. So an example would be that if you've got a kid that um, was really interested in maybe sports, and now all of a sudden they have no interest in it. They want to quit. Um, they become irritable. Um, maybe they have some anxiety around school or fitting in with certain people in school. Um, we also see just any sadness as well with kids. They become really sad. They isolate themselves in their rooms or they isolate themselves away from the people that usually, you know, they wanted to be around a lot of times. 
Um, also with kids, too, is that we can see um, depression symptoms. Um, also, we get scared, too, is that anytime we have depression, regardless if it was kids or adults, they also may have um, thoughts of suicide. Um, it could be very vague in the beginning. So sometimes it can be that they uh, you know, are just making statements, like vague statements, like, um, I don't want to be here anymore, or I just don't want to live anymore, or I'm just really exhausted with life. Um, but that can also develop into actual thoughts of suicide, which may be that they actually verbalize that they don't want to be here anymore, or they want to end their life, or they're actually thinking about suicide. So those are kind of the common warning signs we see with mental illness. And I know last week's show, we, we talked a lot about suicide and what are signs and symptoms and safety planning and resources. So I just want to provide again uh, through today that there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK. That is a resource for people across the country um, for information around suicide and mental health. So please reach out um, if you do need to talk with somebody. I just want to touch on, um, you mentioned with children and, and even adolescents, sometimes it's that fine line of what's developmental and what potentially could be mental illness. So I think what it was really important is just to make sure we're having conversations with our children when we start to see changes in behavior. And I think that's really something that sometimes is, is scary for a parent to do, but can be very life-saving at the same time. So please, if you're starting to see changes in behavior, don't just disregard it to, well, they're just being a teen or or they're just being a problem, or for adults, maybe they're just seeking attention, uh, please ask, because I think that's one of the critical pieces that helps to prevent um, people from getting into crisis or potentially thinking of suicide um, and potentially um, taking their own lives. So can we just talk a little bit about the types of mental illness and maybe some common ones that um, we tend to see in the work that we do here at Crisis Services? Um, like I said before, we often see when people develop, um, the first time they develop anxiety or depression, and those are the most common, those are the most commonly diagnosed mental illnesses. Um, oftentimes they're treated, um, you know, if you go and you see your primary medical doctor and you're feeling a little sad or you verbalize that you're feeling depressed, your primary medical doctor may refer you to counseling or treatment, but also they may refer you to, you know, use to take medications. There's lots of medications out there that are that are designed to treat um, depression and anxiety. Um, so we often see those, um, especially with our mobile team here or when we go out to see clients, we often see pe- when people are developing their first signs of mental illness, oftentimes it's depression and anxiety. Um, after that, um, we see people a lot of times that have um, what we call bipolar disorder. And the symptoms that really come... Um, that are used to diagnose bipolar disorder are usually this, what we call like an increased energy or, or manic types of behavior. So the person may feel like they have this surge of energy um, and they, they may talk very fast. Um, they also may not um, have a hard time kind of breaking out of that. So um, oftentimes they feel like they're kind of on top of the world. But in a sense, the other people around them notice that they're just, you know, they're not, they're not doing very well. And oftentimes, too, what we see with bipolar disorder is you can also see someone that just develops a deep depression. So not that they were, you know, feeling manic. Now they're feeling just really, really depressed. And they're kind of stuck in that depression. And that can last for a while. 
Um, so that's kind of what we see with bipolar disorder. Um, other mental illnesses like schizophrenia, for instance, um, those sometimes develop um, when you see people around the age of 18, 17, 18 years old. A lot of times we see schizophrenia develop and when we see kids go off to college, um, unfortunately. Um, they may have performed very well in high school and actually a lot of times they're, they're the, the high performers, the people that were doing really, really well. They may be the captain of the lacrosse team or soccer team, and they go off to school, and um, and all of a sudden, you know, something happens. They're unable to cope. Um, and what we see with schizophrenia oftentimes is there's an increased paranoia. Um, they feel paranoid. Um, maybe someone's out to get them. Um, they have like, also can be very depressed with schizophrenia and have thoughts of suicide. That also happens as well. Um, we also see, too, is that someone can see things that are not there. We call those hallucinations. They may see other things that are not there. Those can be auditory, meaning we hear them, or they can be visual. So we often see that as well um, with that diagnosis. And I think, it, you know, going back to when we started talking about signs and symptoms and especially any changes in behavior, it's really important for us to be conscious of, of that um, and really know that there is help out there. And we're going to talk a little bit in our next segment about some of the services that our mobile outreach team provides here at Crisis Services. But it's important for people to know that there is counseling, that medication may be necessary. Again, this is a chemical imbalance that um, impacts the brain. Um, and so that is important to understand that this is yet, this is a health condition and may need medication, counseling, there's support groups. Um, there's a lot of resources um, that are available for people um, that need that type of help. Um, a great website for resources to reach out for individuals who are struggling with mental illness or family members who are concerned about a loved one is NAMI.org, N-A-M-I.org. That is a great, great resource with a lot of information. So, um, we are going to be heading to break here in a, in a minute, so I just wanted to reiterate that if you have any questions or comments for us during the show, um, that you can email us at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com, J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, again, I want to thank Kristen and Tracy for um, helping us get a little bit more insight into mental illness. And in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the crisis response services uh, that are available for individuals with mental illness in our community. Please stay tuned. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
the root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pira. Welcome back, everyone. I want to thank Tracy Busi and Kristen Aducci for joining me today to talk about mental health and crisis response. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about the different types of mental illness, signs and symptoms to look for. Um, So we're going to start off uh, this this section of our program to talk a little bit about the services that are available for someone in crisis with a mental illness. Um, So here at Crisis Services, we provide a variety of services, um, but one of our department's programs is our mobile outreach program. Um, Tell me a little bit about what a mobile outreach program is. Sure. Um, you know, most, most counties, most, you know, areas of the country have mobile outreach programs established to provide services for individuals that are in crisis. Our mobile outreach program provides emergency mental health assessments for individuals that are at risk of psychiatric hospitalization. So our goal is to try to stabilize the crisis and divert as many people as possible away from presenting at local psychiatric emergency rooms when they possibly don't need to do that. Uh, We have a team of nearly 25 professionals who go out in teams of two to provide crisis intervention and assessment for individuals who are in a mental health crisis. For us to open a case, the individual has to be uh, somehow symptomatic of mental illness. So either there's a new onset of symptoms or recurrence or worsening, as well as um, them being somehow at risk uh, or a danger to self or others. So our goal is hospital diversion. Uh, We would like to keep people from presenting in emergency rooms when they don't absolutely need to. But when we can't, staff does have the authority and the responsibility to enact what's called in our state a 945 involuntary transport under the New York State Mental Hygiene Law. And this uh, provides a transport over to a psychiatric emergency room for psychiatric evaluation. It's really our last resort. If we're able to safely divert somebody, we can make referrals to community resources to help support the individual and get them the help that they need. Great, great. So let's talk a little bit about when our staff are going out to see somebody and they're doing a mental health assessment, uh, what are they looking for? 
Well, they're doing a couple things. Um, first off, they're doing a mental status exam. So in, in that, they're assessing for symptoms of mental illness and to what degree these are impacting the person's functioning and safety. So it's not just about being symptomatic. It's about how these symptoms impact someone's ability to function in their daily life. And they're also doing a lethality assessment to assess for suicide risk. Um, is this person considering suicide? Have they made an attempt in the past? Do they have a plan? Are they able to develop a safety plan to keep themselves safe? So um, this is part of the assessment as well. And in addition, we're doing a general risk assessment. So we're looking for other issues of risk aside from suicide. So this could be aggression. This could be an inability to care for oneself, not taking their medication as needed, and some impaired judgment insight at, at times. So when should somebody go to the hospital? Because I know our goal is diversion and trying to keep people safely in the community when we can, but when should somebody go to the hospital? For our teams, if an individual is symptomatic of mental illness and is a danger to oneself or others, the hospital then really does become the best option. So an example of this might be somebody who's had a significant worsening of their depressive symptoms and they're very suicidal at this point. So they they have thoughts about it, they have intent, maybe they've developed a plan, and really doing any safety planning at that point with the individual, we're kind of past that point. So... Um, you know, in our model, we'd always prefer the individual or those around them would call us first ahead of going straight to the ER. Um, but by completing this assessment, we can best determine if the hospital is truly the best plan for somebody or if we can better help them on an outpatient basis. So I think one of the important pieces to just remind our, our listeners is that um, use your hotlines in your local communities to kind of guide you and, and let you know what the next best step might be for either yourself or a loved one um, who is in a mental health crisis. I think one of the things we have seen um, in our work through uh, uh, the mobile outreach program is our relationship with law enforcement and the role that law enforcement plays in helping with these mental health crises. So um, we... We talk a lot about collaboration and multidisciplinary work, and one of the things we've been working really hard here in our community in Buffalo and Erie County is that partnership with law enforcement um, to help prevent unnecessary hospitalizations as well as unnecessarily uh, having to go to jail, which I think is an important piece to highlight. Um, as Tracy mentioned, diversion is our goal. So, But we see in various communities and historically those with mental illness being arrested um, instead of maybe getting other types of support or help that they need. And that's one of the things with our crisis intervention team training is trying to help improve um, how to prevent unnecessarily jail uh, or arrests that uh, for individuals with mental illness. And just to give you a sense, um, our statistics show that a disproportionate amount of individuals with mental illness are in our criminal justice system. We see that 24% of state prisoners have a recent history of mental health conditions. We have um, over 2 million jail bookings involving individuals with mental illness. Um, and about one in four people are killed in officer-involved shootings that has a serious mental illness. And we see that kind of uh, nationwide sometimes when we've had these tragedies occur. And so one of the things that we work hard here in our area and areas across the country are working on is improving the collaboration with law enforcement and their crisis for first responders and mobile outreach programs. So we want to talk a little bit about the crisis intervention team model. So Kristen, can you tell us exactly what the CIT model is? Well, what CIT means is, um, what it stands for is crisis intervention teams. And what that is, is basically teams of law enforcement officers. 
that are from a, a particular department. So you'll have a team of law enforcement officers that are trained in what we call specialized mental health training. So it's training that um, is specifically focused on working with individuals that um, have a mental illness or oftentimes individuals that are first showing those like first signs of mental illness um, because a lot of times people may not be diagnosed so they're having those um, symptoms and they really don't know what what's going on we want law enforcement to be able to recognize that so they can get the person the appropriate intervention so why should we train officers in crisis intervention well the I think the biggest thing is is that um, we need to train law enforcement so that when they do get a call um, and they are dispatched out um, to a particular area, let's say a home, and they come in um, the home, oftentimes law enforcement are coming out because there's some type of crisis. And as human beings, just in society in general, um, we're conditioned that when we're in crisis, we call 911, regardless if we're in, um, you know, regardless if someone's having a heart attack or if someone's having um, a mental health crisis. And this can often be that that person has just tried everything they can to get out of that crisis. And it's escalated to the point where family around them are so concerned for that individual or people around them are so concerned for them that they call law enforcement because they just don't know what to do anymore. They need someone to come in and take charge and do um, and really provide that person um um, intervention immediately. So that's why law enforcement need to be trained because they're often the first responders that come on the scene for someone that's in crisis. Right, right. And I think that is a really important piece that you highlighted that our condition is to call 911 to help in intervening and also to restore safety in a situation. And a lot of times um, in these crisis situations, that's a critical piece of this. What are the benefits to individuals with mental illness um, when they're interfacing with a CIT officer? Well, our officers are trained, and I don't want to talk too much about what um, the officer in our next segment is going to talk about, but um, our officers really are, are trained in or, um, about how to interact and build rapport with someone. Um, it's, not be, it's not that officers are not given that training when they're basic academy, but we really focus on building rapport and also training on some of the, um, the information that would often be um, someone that was going through a master's degree and either social work or mental health counseling might get that building rapport training, um, counseling skills, um, and just being able to really form a relationship with that person, a helping relationship, so that that person knows that that officer is there and is going to try to provide the most appropriate intervention. Um, and also, too, officers are... Um, you know, are really, um, they focus a lot on building, uh, about using empathy and being able to um, be as empathetic as possible in order to really start that process of getting that person help. Now, for, for police departments, it's a commitment to, to consider this model and be a part of it, but there's a lot of benefits to law enforcement to participate in the CIT model. Can you talk a little bit about what are some of those benefits for, for law enforcement? Um. What we see is that, um, especially here as well, um, one of the benefits is, is that you're going to hopefully be able to, um, when you're working with an individual, um, not have it escalate to the point where you have to go hands-on. So a lot of times what happens is, is that someone is you know, in crisis and they may become to the point where they're out of control. And what officers really focus on is trying to make sure that, you know, to try to work to see if that won't happen. Um, so what they'll do is... Um, 
they'll they'll provide that person um, that intervention that's going to hopefully be able to de-escalate them. So that's really one of the benefits for people that are interacting with law enforcement is that they're coming in and they're, they're really well trained. So they're going to be able to say, okay, this is what's going on. Let's start the, let's start to build towards a solution or at least let's get you where you need to be, um, where we can find a safe place for you to be and then start to work on what we can do in order to kind of um, get you um, moving towards next steps, which oftentimes is treatment. So we want someone to get treatment for their mental illness. We know that treatment works. Um, medications in in conjunction with like counseling or working with um, a a psychologist or a doctor like a psychiatrist is going to be the best bet for someone because those people are trained to be able to provide um, um, intervention for people that with mental illness. Um, So those officers are really um, providing that and that's going to be the the best benefit for the client because they're getting that officer that knows exactly what they're going through or at least, you know, has learned about it and that can say, okay, I might not be going through the same thing you're going through, but I also know how to um, get you where you need to be. What sets our model here in Buffalo and Erie County apart from other models across the country? I think that um, when we look at our work here, um, we we feel that we have a really great model that helps support um, responding to individuals with mental illness. So can you just touch on what, what sets us apart here in Buffalo? Well... Here, it's um, we, we like to say we have a model called the Erie County model here. And the reason for that is that, um, like Tracy said before earlier, is that we have what we call the um, New York State Mental Hygiene Law here. Um, it's a law that um, has several sections under it. One of the sections is called 941. And that section is allows officers that if someone is presenting to harm themselves or others, they can involuntarily transport them to the hospital. Well, what we found here in Erie County over the last several years, at least four, five, six years, is that we started seeing a lot of um, departments showing um, higher numbers of 941 transports. So, and a lot of times the people that go to the hospital, they'd be discharged right away. So we started saying is that, hmm, do we, you know, are there people that are going to the hospital that really don't need to be there? And the answer was yes. Um, and also, too, is that... Um, Because of that, um, we started to really focus our model on that. So we thought, okay, if we can train law enforcement and um, give them the specialized training, and we could actually make it our goal to reduce those 941 transports, um, that would be really awesome. And we actually were able to do that. So that really is what sets our model um, um, apart from other models, is we really have this focus on the 941 transport because we have the New York State Mental Hygiene Law. In other states across um, the U.S., there are varying different laws that are similar to the New York State Mental Hygiene Law, but a lot of them are different. And in New York State, um, we have that, so we really needed to focus on that because, again, the majority of the people that were being transported were being discharged. Tracy, can we just talk a little bit about what are other types of training um, that officers can get that maybe aren't a CIT officer? So if they're not trained in CIT, what are some other models that officers can get trained in to help with their mental health response? There is some training that occurs um, as officers are going through the Police Training Academy, um, which uh, we also do assist with that at the academy locally here, too. They receive about 20 hours 
years as they're coming out before graduation. Um, there's in-service that we provide at the academy so that we're keeping um, you know, skills fresh for officers out in the field. But what we're also looking at in Erie County is a model called mental health first aid as a way to provide the next level of less intensive but very effective um, training for non-CIT officers. Mental Health First Aid is an eight-hour course, so um, much less than the 40 hours for CIT, and it teaches you how to to help someone who is developing a mental health problem or experiencing a mental health crisis. So the training helps um, anyone to identify, understand, and then respond to the signs of addiction and mental illness. Anyone can take this training. They're just regular civilians. Um, It's just like taking regular first aid, um, but it's focused on mental illness. Um, And there is a curriculum specific to law enforcement, and as a community, we're trying to find the resources to make this available to non-CIT officers across Erie County. And um, this curriculum requires a police trainer. We've identified a trainer at this point, and we want to be able to start to roll this out to uh, non-CIT officers so that we're really covering our bases. So if people are interested in getting more information about the Mental Health First Aid, the website is pretty much just mentalhealthfirstaid.org, correct? So they could go Google Mental Health First Aid and learn a little bit more about what the Mental Health First Aid can offer for not only law enforcement, but anybody really in our community that's interested in learning more how to to intervene and respond for individuals with mental illness, correct? Uh, Correct. And really this can, anyone can go through this training. You can find local trainings um, on their website. We did have a question that came in through our email that I want to um, touch on, and it is the ask, the question was, what can people do to encourage our local police to get the crisis intervention team training? Um, what what are some things that we can highlight that is a benefit to police to, to participate in the training? Um, what people can do often, um, and what we ha- saw here is that if you're in the community and you want your um, departments to have CIT, definitely um, write to write letters to the chief of police. There, um, really, what they do read their read those letters. They do believe me. I've I've seen them do it, and um, <laughs> they read those letters. They take a lot of feedback from the community because that's a really big part of their job. Um, so definitely say, I want you to look at this training. I think it's a great training. Um, again, that will have them kind of start to move for- towards the process of identifying an officer that could start to work on that. Um, but the benefits really are that you want to highlight is the fact that it really helps to build a relationship between the people in the community and the police department. And that's really, really important. Um, oftentimes, people with mental illness feel stigmatized. They feel ashamed that they have a mental illness. But when they know that it's okay, that an officer that's trained is going to show up and know a little bit about what I'm experiencing, be able to, to have that training and be able to interact with me on a, in a more productive way, um, that's, that's going to be really important to them. And I think the community is really going to wrap around um, that idea. We've seen it here. Um, especially with one of our departments, um, our first department was Cheektowaga Police Department, and they saw that many, many people were writing in and providing feedback that they were really excited about it. Great. All right. Um, as we get close here to our break, I just want to reiterate the website on the Mental Health First Aid is mentalhealthfirstaid.org. Um, and in our next segment, we're going to talk right with one of our local CIT officers um, who is doing this work every day and hear from him directly about his experience with the CIT program. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com, jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with our last segment.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show & Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, Voice America at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pira. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. We've been talking a lot about mental illness and crisis response, and uh, for this last portion of the show, we really want to continue to highlight our crisis intervention team training uh, with law enforcement and the work that we are doing here in Buffalo and Erie County. So now joining us uh, here is our, another guest, uh, Officer Joseph Milosic. Milosic. Um, and he um, is a CIT officer. He um, joined the town of Tonawanda Police Department back in 2008 and became an officer in the fall of 2014. So can you just talk to us a little bit about um, why you, you know, joined to become a CIT officer at the town of Tonawanda Police Department? Um, well, I've been in law enforcement for almost eight years now, and uh, one of the things I realized fairly early on is um, we're often called to assist um, individuals with mental illness. Um, and as the years on, or as years went on, I really realized what an important part of this, or what, how important this is to our line of work. Um, and I felt like there had to be more in place, uh, more services just to, to meet the needs of an individual with mental illness. Um, so it's just a matter of finding the resources and, and learning how to tap into them. Uh, so the department presented the, the opportunity to receive the crisis intervention training, 
I just kind of jumped on it. Great. So from your perspective, um, how does the, the CIT model benefit the community and the, and that you're responding to? Um, well, like I said, I was, I knew it, there was, there had to be more resources. So we're able to really apply them. We found them and we can get them to the people that need them. Um, there's more communication between uh, law enforcement and other agencies, uh, whether it be crisis services, um, counseling, adult protective services, uh, whatever agency that might be. This uh, increased communication and flow of information it really um, allows us to, to better meet the needs of the, the people calling for our assistance. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. Um, we've gotten a lot of phone calls, letters, cards, um, just, just um, letting us know that uh, people appreciate it. Um, not that we're looking for that, but again, the positive feedback is, is definitely reassuring. Um, and even to the point where, uh, people calling us are requesting crisis intervention, trained officers respond to the call. So your community is already starting to understand that the CIT officers are there and they're available. So you are actually seeing people when they're calling in requesting to have that type of officer respond, which is great. So that means that the community is is getting more aware of what your department is doing to help respond to to individuals with mental illness. Um, so that's a great recognition that the CIT program is, is working. Um, how do you feel it's benefiting the department? I know you mentioned it's enhancing communication. Uh, with other types of providers, but for you as an officer uh, and the department as a whole, what what are you seeing as the benefits for police departments to participate in CIT? Um, well, in law enforcement, we're training constantly, whether it be new laws, tactics, equipment, and I think uh, the CIT training is no different. Um, we're really fine-tuning our skills and abilities and and able to apply them better. You know, it's just more resources and, and more... Um, knowledge to apply to any situation, um, and it's it's important too because I think it it really carries over. I mean, this is is um, huge for for assisting with mental illness, but um, people calling the police are are generally not in uh, the greatest spot. It could be a car accident, right, right. Um, a crime victim, somebody with a health concern, and um, having this training it uh, really allows us to to understand that situation a little more or um, just um, present um, just just more more to those situations you know it's can never hurt to have more more resources. Right. And I think one of the things that's important to highlight, um, you know, we've talked about different types of training, and you mentioned earlier, for a lot of police departments, there's so many trainings that are you guys are required and women are required to go through. Um, and so this is another model and another training, but what this training really provides a, a different perspective than maybe what you're getting in the recruit training or other types of training. So can you just talk a little bit about what you feel is unique about the CIT training versus other trainings you've received in the academy when you went through the academy training? I think the CIT training, it kind of offers us a more long-term solution. Uh, some of the stuff we receive in the academy or just um, beginning level or introductory level training was, was very um fundamental knowledge of mental illness but this this gives us um the ability to recognize signs and symptoms of it and um how to react accordingly how to how to just better assist and um really that long-term solution is is what we're looking for there um one of the key things we got from that is is uh empathy we're really trying mm-hmm. to um 
not necessarily immediately solve the problem, but you know, we recognize that this person is, is having a problem, it's difficult for them, and we want to find the, the right solution. And even if it's not something that we can give as law enforcement, we can hopefully uh, get them the right, uh, right services. Have you, have you seen that the trainings helped um, in the reduction of force with individuals with, that are, you're encountering with mental illness? I know that Kristen talked a little bit about that earlier, that um, you know, that's part of the model is to help uh, officers as well to remain safe in these sometimes very volatile situations. So have, have you seen that play out in your own experience in reducing uh, force with individuals? Uh, yeah, we're in, in law enforcement, we're guided by what we call the, uh, the force continuum. Um, and basically, um, the situation dictates uh, our response to it. We never, would, uh, we never want to exceed uh, a level of force necessary uh, to that situation. Um, and that begins with uh, officer presence and verbalization. And that's where, ideally, we'd like to keep every, every situation if possible. Uh, and having this, this crisis intervention training is just one more resource to keep us there. Uh, and one thing that's, that's been huge with it is, is uh, de-escalation. So not only does it prevent us from getting to the next level on that continuum, but if we're there, we have the opportunity to, to de-escalate it and bring it back. Um, and the, the training's been extremely valuable in that respect. Now, I know as we've... Um developed the CIT program here at Crisis Services over the last few years. Uh, in addition to our CIT uh, program is uh, adding in CIT crisis case managers to help follow up with cases dealt by uh, that are that a CIT officer deals with or responds to. Um, what value have you seen in adding that component of the follow-up with crisis services with the CIT case management model? Um, I think that the, the case management portion is invaluable. Um, there's a lot of times, you know, we've got, in law enforcement, we've got other responsibilities and obligations that, that might limit our ability to, to keep in touch with these individuals and, and um, just to be able to have a, a case manager that can follow up with them, um, get them assistance um, most of the time in-home. Um, it's been just a huge, huge resource. Uh, and it's been, been great for um, like helping with chronic or repeat encounters with the same individual. Um, like I said, it's it's much more long term. So these these individuals are getting the services they need, and it might not get to the point where it requires police assistance or or any um, reaction. It's more proactive. Great, great. I think that. Um you know, hearing your voice directly and your experience is really critical, especially for any other law enforcement that are listening to the show today to know that uh, the value you see in this type of training, um, it, but also the impact that it has with just a change in an approach and behavior with someone with mental illness can really change that complete interaction that maybe before might have escalated much, uh, much more quickly, uh, maybe had uh, force involved, that we are seeing that this type of training does help to reduce those types of situations from occurring. Um, so I think it is uh, just a very uh, excellent model uh, for law enforcement to consider. And I guess, do you have any words of encouragement for any law enforcement out there who are thinking about a CIT model in their department, um, how, to, how to go about doing it? Is there any, any words of encouragement you could share? Just do it? <laughs> I think... I think um... You know, it's it's pretty safe to say everyone wants to help, and and um, there's never anything 
wrong with having more tools in your toolbox. Uh, we constantly fall back on training tools and tactics, and um, this is just, just one more uh, part of it, uh, just a little more assistance for us. Wonderful. So I just want to talk a little bit about, um, as we get close to, to the show um, wrapping up here in a, in a few minutes, I wanted to just take a few minutes to, to have Kristen talk a little bit about uh, the presentation she's going to be doing um, in April in Chicago at the CIT International uh, Conference, which is a conference really that's targeted for CIT agencies, officers, providers. Um, so Kristen, can you just share a little bit about what the topic is that you're going to be talking about? We're actually uh, presenting on uh, two topics. Um, one topic is about when we've um, started to develop this training over the past couple of years, we realized that we had to have a lot more multimedia involved because it allows us to be able to be a little bit more flexible um, with ongoing training so we could send out quick little videos to law enforcement um, about how to do certain things or just videos about like um, specific um approaches we want them to use or things that we can, um, or documents or any new training materials. So we developed a bunch of videos. So we decided to put it into a presentation. So those videos are actually, um, we're showing people at CIT International about how to just quickly make those videos and then um, showing them kind of the examples we have and how we've actually had a lot of good feedback from the officers that are CIT trained um, because those videos, again, can be sent over email to them. And they can quickly view it in their car or whenever. And um, they can implement the, uh, whatever we're talking about. Um, one of our videos was specific about personal safety plans. It was plans um, on how officers would work with someone to make sure that they could appropriately safety plan with an individual. So we made a video about it, and it worked out really great. The other um, presentation we're doing is myself um, and a um, one of our doctors from the Erie County Medical Center um, as well as um, partners from the University of Buffalo um, that are going to be helping us um, basically to present about our model overall. Um, and also uh, Lieutenant Brian Gould from the Chictawaga Police Department who actually was um, the founding member of starting CIT here with um, with Crisis Services, and um, we're going to be presenting about really about um, what the statistics are now that we have about the effectiveness of our model, as well as kind of um, what we do that's unique. Um, and we talked a little bit about it in the show, but just about the fact that we um, focus on 941 transports and focusing on um, um, really bringing in the community and being able to um, build relationships in the community, as well as on the hospital side as well. The hospital will be presenting about um, their admission rates and the fact that our CIT officers' admission rates have gone up. So the people that they do bring to the hospital, they're more likely to be admitted. Um, and then just overall, just about kind of what our case management looks like in our peer component to the model. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. It's a huge accomplishment to be accepted into that international conference. And so I just want to highlight the amazing work uh, that the staff here at Crisis Services are doing. So as we wrap up the show today, I just want to leave you with a few websites that you can learn more information about CIT and mental health. Uh, there's the CITinternational.org website. Uh, 
Uh, we also mentioned earlier in the show, NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org, uh, is a wonderful resource for uh, family members and friends and those individuals with mental illness to seek out to. And uh, mentalhealth.gov is a great uh, website to find your local mental health providers in your community. So we want to thank you so much for joining us today on this very critical conversation around mental health and crisis response. We hope that um, you learned a lot um, and some resources that you can tap into. So please join me next week, uh, Tuesday, 8 uh, a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And again, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. So thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember, do your part this week to provide hope to others. Thank you for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour.